morning, everyone. A couple of uh, things to share with you before we get started on the lesson. Uh, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, saw the the uh, information about the shooting in Lewiston, Maine, our church in Oakland, Maine. Uh, about uh, 35 minutes or so from there, they have three of their families live in that in the community of Lewiston, um, and so that's uh, obviously been a stressful time for that church and for those families living in that community. So I just ask that you continue to pray for them as they work through that. My conversations with their pastor, Grant Van Bremer, um, none of their particular families, as far as I can tell, were directly impacted. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as you go through a, a large situation like that, um, you know, the, the, the challenge for the overall community can be pretty tough, and it'll be months or several years perhaps for some as they as they work through that we certainly want to ask God to um, do a work in that community draw people into him uh, in, in a time like this also this past week um, we uh, our roving pastors prayer group we were in Bay Ridge Gardens that's one of the housing projects uh, on the corner of uh, Bay Ridge Avenue and Bay Ridge Road um, which is always, I'm never quite sure why, how that all happened, but anyway, <clears throat> so it's on the corner of the same name pretty much, and uh, there had been a shooting there uh, the previous Thursday, so 10 days ago or so uh, in that community <coughs> in the evening time, and so we moved our regular scheduled prayer for this past week to that community, had the opportunity to go into the community after uh, after a meeting in, in downtown on Tuesday, I went in and just talked to the staff, the uh, folks that run the apartment complex, and uh, let them know that we'd be out there praying and that uh, you know, they were certainly welcome to join us. In their case, it's, it's very interesting because it seems to me in every one of these communities, the housing project in particular that I'm referring to, it is amazing that, that the office staff they all seem to come in at different times. So some show up while we're assembling for prayer. Others come at 8 o'clock. Obviously, this complex comes at 9. But uh, we prayed in the back corner of the community, which is, you know, the whole community's fenced off. That's the, the running theory these days. You fence them all the way around um, so that, I guess, if there's something bad happens, they're pinned in if they don't jump over the fence. Um, but... Uh, they have a gate in the back corner that uh, they unlock during the daytime so that the kids can walk to school. So they walk through there in that back corner. But it, this is also the same place where at 10 o'clock at night um, a young man was shot in the leg. and um, He will survive, it seems, which we're, of course, glad for. But, but if, you know, whether it's a mass shooting in Lewiston or one shooting in a community in our city, um, these are challenging times, and what we want to do is provide prayer and support, not just as our church and Horace and uh, Rick frequently come to those prayer meetings. And it's certainly welcome to anyone if you have a, 
uh, you know, you're free on a Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. <coughs> we know that's not convenient for, for most people, but for uh, pastors, it, it can be a pretty convenient time. But we ask that you continue to pray, and uh, as you know, today is Reformation <coughs> Sunday, and we're considering um, God's work of bringing Reformation to His church, thereby the gospel being preached, and... Um, Revival, if you want to use that kind of term, began to happen in Europe. Um, and of course, that had its impact for a couple of centuries. Uh, and so what a, what a blessing to have. We're, we're downstream of all that. Um, so let us pray for God's blessing to be uh, with us and with the church. And certainly as we consider the last enemy death here this morning in Sunday school, let us pray together. Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you, O Lord, for your great mercies. We thank you that we don't face life alone, neither do we face death alone. We look to you, O Lord, to keep us in this life, to keep us and resurrect us and place us in the, the complete fullness of your resurrection and life in the new creation. Bless us as we discuss your word together today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, so last week, as we were considering the last enemy of death, we remembered Psalm 89, verse 48, that says, What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? And of course, it's interesting. We see that, that right at the end of that statement, there is uh, that word that has some debate, sila. Um, you know, I, I guess I tend to kind of, agree with some of the commentators who see that word as possibly a musical rest because it's interesting when that word does appear um, it seems oftentimes it, it's, it's placed at a part where you should pause and think about the, the, the gravitas of what's being said anyway um, we see that um, if, we, if we're born we're, we're going to die and, of course, it's interesting when you consider when God created the world, um, there's the tree of life, there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. After the fall, right, God says, okay, well, we don't want them to live forever. That will be a curse to them to have to live in that state perpetually in a sinful state. So let's, let's send them out uh, from that. It, it, it helps you to understand that, that uh, death uh, was in mind in some way um, otherwise, there wouldn't have been a tree of life ready to extend life uh, if uh, Adam, um, who was, of course, predestined to, you know, not that God, it's not fatalism, but certainly God understood the heart of man, how Adam would fall. And so before the foundations of the world, God's elect were selected. But there, there's this idea that, and if you, if you think about how the world works in terms of fertilizing for food and all these kinds of things um, there was some level of death uh, built in um, to uh, into creation in order to, to sustain life because if there was no composting if there was no uh, death of that sort uh, we you know I suppose God had something else in mind perhaps but I, I'm at this point I'd say I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat speculating uh, but I, I just want to say that you know, none of us can escape uh, can escape our appointment. 
And of course, we see in, in Psalm 90, uh, we are, it's pointed out to us that it's a blessing to live to 70 years, and it's an even greater <coughs> blessing to live to 90. And that when we, we consider all of that, um, there are some among us that are, you know, coming to the end of, of uh, their time. And, and of course, we also know that just like in, sh- in shootings, which are random, we have, uh, you know, an unplanned death or accidents, um, like we saw um, with Daniel, the son of the pastor, Daniel Davis, who died uh, a couple Sunday or Saturday nights ago, uh, just suddenly in a car wreck. Um, you know, all of these things happen, and 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 so we we can't escape that. So, death is the enemy to us. Um, is uh, you know, can be unnerving, particularly if you're lost uh, in your sins. And of course, I think that's part of what contributed to the uh, what, what you would call mass panic uh, here in the last few years with COVID and other things. And of course, I'm not saying COVID wasn't real, but I am saying that the fear of death certainly gripped the world. And we saw anger and insecurity and um, all kinds of things gripping people. And so um, this is what happens when we're detached from Christ, who is the resurrection. Uh, in John chapter 11, Jesus says this. This is his whole narrative where he's having a conversation with um, Martha, and, and it says this. So when Jesus came, this is to uh, um, Mary and Martha after he'd gotten the news that um, Lazarus has died. It says this, he found that he'd already been in the tomb, that's Lazarus, four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha to confront them concerning their brother. Uh, interesting thing, I was reading a commentary, not relevant to this, uh, but, but earlier this week where it talked about how in the Jewish culture they had uh, professional mourners. So if someone dies in your family and, you know, you want to make a, a big scene of it, um, you know, and you might get wore out in mourning, but you want the mourning to continue, you could hire people who were professional mourners. Uh, they'd come and cry and wail and, and carry on. Kind of reminds me of a, of a funeral I was at uh, just recently. If you haven't been to a uh, traditional African-American funeral it is w- considerably more emotional um, than, uh, than what I would call most uh, European funerals. And, uh, but it, it, I've been to a number and this, this one I went to the, earlier this summer was by far the most emotional that I've ever seen. It was, you know, the, the, they have traditions about, you know, we marched in, I'm one of the pastors, we march in with the family this is with other people sitting down already. There's a procession, and then the family does a, a walk past the casket. Everybody's crying, and that, that's pretty normal, right? They sit down. The rest of the people come up, do some visitation, you know, walking, and there's greeting, and then they all go sit down. And then the family comes up for, you know, a last goodbye. And um, I don't know how it is here, but in the South, um, they asked the family to walk out with the minister to a side room, and you know the minister prays with the family, 
and then they close the casket, crank it down, do all those kinds of things. Not so in, in, in the African-American culture. What they do is um, the, the family surrounds the casket, and they're, they're crying. Some of it is, is wailing, and, um, and they, they, they close the casket in front of the family. And this was the, the most rambunctious scene out of everything. Imagine about 40 people around <coughs> the casket. They're crying. People are grasping on to their loved one. And finally, after about 15 minutes, the, the two uh, funeral home workers come up, and they're, they're trying to get to the casket to, to put it down. And um, both these guys were big, burly men. I mean, big, strong guys. And it, it started to look like as they were trying to get to the casket so they could close it, like a, a scene from WWE, um, the, 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 the guys trying to close the casket were getting tossed to the side. It was, it was something else. I only bring all that up to say, and, and listen, I, if, if you, know, you want to cry and be emotional, I have no problem with that. But I, it's just different. And I think that's the cultural thing, too. People are wailing and crying. And so this comment here in this passage is that, that, that people had come out of Jerusalem to help them uh, mourn. And so uh, he goes on to, to say, and you know, now as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sitting in the house. Now Martha said to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Well, and we know that to be true, right? If Jesus shows up and someone is dying, um, although it is important to notice that Jesus doesn't heal every person that is sick, right? He doesn't, he, you know, he heals many, a great many, but, but sometimes God doesn't choose um, in his plan to heal. And so, and of course we know there's a greater task going on here. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, you can almost hear it perhaps and it's hard to say because as much as there's this relationship of savior and lord and uh you know she's a disciple right we also know that this family were her close friends right so you can almost imagine that she would have been like i know he'll rise again at the resurrection at the last day so i don't know if it was just a matter of fact statement or you know, kind of rolling of the eyes. Yes, Lord, we know that he'll rise on the last day. Uh, but, but certainly, I, I think it's important that we recognize that there, there is emotion, there is uh, real life uh, contemplation and emotional responses to things, even in the scriptures. And then Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And I think that's really the crux for all of us, right? When we face death, right, do we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life so that if we may die, are we clinging to Christ? I mean, it reminds us of our state, right? Who, who, who opens our eyes? Who pulls back the veil so we can see and understand? God does that. 
he, he gives us the ability to believe, right? Who, who justifies us through the work of Jesus Christ? Right? God does, right? Who walks with us each day and already knows what we're thinking, what we're going to do, and all the other people around us, right? God does, and, and Jesus has covered our sins, and all of this um, helps us, I think, to approach and understand death. Um, I know that for some elderly, they get up each day and go, I was hoping last night I just wouldn't wake up and I'd just be with my Savior and Lord. And I know that's not everyone, but, you know, I, I always reflect back to Granny Hazel at 102. Probably at least the four, last four or five years, she had that anticipation. But I'd tell you that she had trouble sleeping, and so she usually went to sleep uh, about um, 3 a.m. But um, you could talk to her on the phone. She loved to talk to people on the phone, very lucid even to the last few weeks of her life. But at 11 p.m., that was it. She didn't talk to anybody else, even though she was going to be up until 3 in the morning. And then she spent the next four hours uh, reading the Bible, devotionals, praying down this huge list that she had sitting in a notebook there. That was her time uh, with the Lord. And then she would um, go and go to sleep sometime between 3 and 4 in the morning and then get up at noon. But... Uh, you know, she, like I said, she, uh, she had a routine there. And, but, but she would go to sleep at night asking, Lord, you know, if it be your will, take me tonight. You know, my, my body is frail. And even though she, she needed a walker, she, she could still get up and, and uh, walk around the house or, or do certain kinds of things. But uh, we, we want to say, Lord, your will be done today. If this is the day that I die. Um, I'm going to be okay because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And, and in Christ Jesus, we know 1 Corinthians 15, 54 tells us this. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? And it goes on and says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our greatest enemy faces us really each day. Right? We can reflect on, you know, my brother went to work, was working hard, was smiling. You could see him on the video at his job, hooks the corner, never comes back around the corner. But everything looked fine. Um, and, you know, they found him less than five minutes from where, when he hooked the corner in the video. And I only say that to say we don't know what God's plan is for us. Um, but we, can, we do know this. Uh, as verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Um, I've often reflected on this, at least in conversations with people on the side. And since our brother's not here, I'll, I'll bring it up. Um, but uh, I love having Joe Green, part of our men's group. He's, God's blessed him with a long life. He has a lot of wise things to say. And he made an observation one night 
about the day that he retired. And he's done a lot of work in top secret um, uh, work in science, in the sciences. And he, he talked about how the day that he retired, he was sitting in his office and he watched people come in and take all of his work and files and whatnot. And I imagine a lot of that stuff was probably also on the computer that they would have put away. But they took all this, all the paper from all the work he'd done over the years, put it in burn bags, and then watch it be rolled away to go to the incinerator. And he said, you know, it was a really humbling and startling thing to watch all of your life's work rolling down the hallway to be burned up in the next few minutes. And that's really what life is in the things that we do. If we're doing it for our own glory, if we're focused on our own desires, if we are living our life in ways that are not pleasing to God, our labors are in vain, right? But if we're in Christ, we don't labor in vain. By the way, even in such mundane things as changing a baby's diaper, uh, di you know, disciplining your child with love and restoration in mind, um, getting up and assisting your pregnant wife with morning sickness, all the different things that, that we have to do. Shovel the sidewalk, you know, God brings the snow and we have to, we have to move it. All the different things um, that are going on, or even in fact, um, if you have to take care of your own yard, uh, you'll be raking leaves this week, I imagine. But, but, but the point being is that these things that God places in our lives, you know, are we laboring, uh, trusting in Jesus as the resurrection and the life? And if we are, we can be steadfast, immovable, not gripped by fear, <coughs> right? And we can get up and we can be faithful to the duties in front of us, whether they are inherently dangerous, like being in the military and... You know, just this week, Americans were flying uh, planes into Syria and, excuse me, bombing targets. That's inherently dangerous. Well, and so is getting in your car and coming to church this morning. But re regardless of what God has for you to do, you get up, you trust in Jesus. You know, if this is the day that God calls you, right? you can be steadfast in him. And this is really important. We have a real problem that grips us in, in our Christian life. And that's this. That we know in our heads that, that God, in God's sovereignty, he called us. Right? He gave us the ability to believe. He's the one that's, that's working in our life to transform us. He's the one that justified us. He's the one that's sanctifying us. Right? What did we bring to the table? Our dead self. Right? Can we do anything to save ourselves? Nope. But we kind of act like this after we become Christians, we suddenly think we're on the works side of things. Now, the fruit of be having a transformed life and submitting ourselves to God's word is in fact doing good works that bring glory to God, right? But you might say, you might, since you've been a Christian, you may be living with some regret 
things you know you didn't do the way you should have done them, or things that you overtly sinned against God and <laughs> sinned against others. Right? You're justified. Confess your sins. And then what? Trust in God. Trust in Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus because you and your good works are, are not going to save you. All the time, our, our eyes have to be shifted to Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, is the one that died for our sins. You know, in, in some of the reading preparation for this, there, there's a, a, uh, an idea floated. It isn't just that Christ died, sins were forgiven, but, but he was in his death, right? He's, he's separated from God, torn away in, in, in some capacity from the Father. And he didn't just stay dead. He was resurrected, right? Otherwise, when we die too, we'd be stuck in the grave. Yep, he forgave us. Maybe that gave us a little bit better life now. But, but we're, we're the, this idea that he's resurrected, he's the firstborn of the resurrected, we too will be resurrected, right? In, in everything that we do, our assurance isn't in ourselves. Because I can promise you, when we get to the confession time this week, and we say our corporate confession, we come in as the people of God and we're confessing our sins together, we can do all of that. And then when it comes to that little pause that we have where we reflect on maybe some personal sins and we confess them to God, as most of us are doing during that time, you're going to miss some. Right? Even if every night when you go to bed, you stop and reflect on your day and you think, what sins do I need to confess before God, before I go to sleep? You're going to miss something. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but at some point. Right? This is, you know, why did God, why did God test Israel to show them what was in their heart? What do we see in Psalms? Lord, Search me, O Lord, right? Look, look at me. What, what is it? God knows us better than we know ourselves. There are sins in the layers of our life and our thinking and everything else. So you confess your sins, and God is constantly what? Putting you in places to test you, not for sin's sake, but so that you can see in your own heart what's there and you can confess your sins. My, my, the point that I'm driving at here is to say this, right? We, we have, you know, in some of the prayers like, Lord, I confess um, for the things that I have done and the, some of the things, and the things that I've left undone, right? And so we say these kind of broader <laughs> confessions, and those are good, and I'm not, I'm not coming against those, but I want us to recognize that in all of this, at the end of the day, um, there may be things that we're, we're still not clear on. We still don't recognize. We still don't know. And we need to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me, and now I'm resting in you. See, that's the thing about coming to Christ, right, is we, start, we stop struggling for our own glory. We stop struggling for our uh, own righteousness. And we say, I'm helpless. I'm exposed. 
I cannot save, my, save myself. I must look to Christ. I must cling to Christ. And I, I, want, us, I want us to have that because when, when, when you, um, you know, we talk about Sunday being the Lord's Day, right, and it being a day of rest, right, and, you know, fun activities, which are recreation. And what do we hear in recreation? Recreate, right? We're being remade first by... Um, coming into God's presence and Him changing us, uh, but also by doing things that are enjoyable. Uh, but you know, have you, you got you have an activity that you really love, right? And um, you think, man, I need a break, so you go and do that activity, whatever it is. I know some of you young people like to play video games. Uh, others, it might be going for a run or a walk, looking at the. The, the beautiful creation or whatever it is that you like to do and you do that thing and it's not fun today that ever happened to you why because you are not resting right even though you're doing that activity these big unresolved things are hanging out in the back of your mind they're weighing da- down on you when we confess our sins, and we are believing Christ to be the resurrection, and we are clinging to his righteousness only, right? Not our own works. We can truly come to rest. Because those things we've left undone, some of which are latent and we don't even know, right? We're trusting Christ in his righteousness because we've been made justified. That's a finished act. We can come to rest. Which also means if we come to a place where we are facing hard sickness, where death is somewhere around the corner, we know God has maybe blessed us with an opportunity to, to see it coming, if you will. You don't know the day or the hour, but you know you're much closer to it right now than, than you were before. How can we rest? How can we be at peace? only way we can do that is to cling to Christ look to Christ right um, you know it's interesting you know Polycarp when when he was uh, brought before the king and the king is like you know renounce you know renounce Christ renounce Christianity Polycarp said I'm not going to do that right and, and he, he, he said, well, I'll feed you the lions. And Polycarp says, bring it on. Right? He said, well, that didn't make him afraid. Well, we'll bring you to the stake. We'll stack up the wood. Right? Christ has forgiven me, and if I die for the sake of Christ, I'll live. Now, right now, in today's day and age, here in the United States, we're not really confronted too much with that kind of a stark situation <coughs> you know and you know my friend San Sanich who came and shared a bunch of things and, and challenges and difficulties <clears throat> you know he remembers a time where the Soviet Union was not only persecuting people but killing people for the gospel um, and, and you know maybe that makes him a little more hard hearted towards uh, the Russian people and he needs to work on that in Christ but, but at the same time, we all need to realize that we need to be able to rest 
in God's provision and his calling uh, to us and say, you know what? Let me acknowledge Christ's changing of my heart <coughs> and through that, let me go and do good works, not for my glory, but so that when people see my good works, they glorify my Father in heaven, right? But also so that I can rest, right? We, we, we tend to always think the battle is ours. And is it? It's not. You know, we can't add one single hair to our head. And I wish I could add more. <laughs> right? But we can't, we, we're not fighting these battles. God has fought them for us. Right? That's why he says, vengeance is mine. Our, our, our desire to try to make everything right in the world now, I'm not saying disregard <coughs> justice. I'm not saying you don't talk to, to people or you don't address things. But at the end of the day, our part is to say our, our peace and then keep living for Christ. Why? Because God's the one who pulls back the veil. God's the one that opens the eyes. We don't have to make everyone, because we can't make anyone justify. We can't make anyone believe our point of view. What do we have to do? We have to rest in Christ. Strive to do what you, what you ought. Pray before God. Take these things up. But let us be mindful. Even unto death. Call out to Christ. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Confess what, you, what you're aware of. Ask God to search your heart. And be, be ready to listen as God mm -hmm. reveals things in your life. And then... Cling to Christ. Look to Christ. Look to no other hope and salvation. So that when we're dealing with death, there is no sting. There is no fear. And of course, we know in the resurrection that um, we'll be restored to physical bodies. And there's a whole thing we could spin through, but you know, everybody here has a pretty good idea. What's that? What's your ideal self? Of course, that'll be interesting to see. <laughs> what is it that God, how, how God will make us, <coughs> right? But we'll be restored. We'll have glorified bodies, physical bodies that walk upon the earth. And because Christ has come and the firmament, that veil has been torn, we'll be able to pass from earth into the throne room of heaven and see our Father in heaven. Questions or comments? Nothing? <laughs> no, I know it sort of turned a little bit more into uh, uh, maybe a little sermonette or something, but I, I want us to keep our eyes on Christ. Death uh, is inevitable, but so is the resurrection. Our only hope, our only faith, our only, our only way to victory or defeat of the last enemy is in Christ Jesus. Um, so what we'll, what we'll do uh, next week is we'll talk about grief and uh, spend some time discussing as a Christian what it means to grieve. Um, you know, God created us to be emotional beings, emotionally connected to people. And when we suffer loss, 
whether loss is your friend moves away or there's betrayal in your life or um, you know someone that loves you brings harm to you or someone that you love dearly dies right there's going to be emotional responses and in death there is a biblical way to grieve we know we're not to grieve like the pagans but grief is real and it is normal um, it, it helps us to understand when you know when we've had grief to when God says he's grieved right um, and things as well we're created in the image of the Almighty so the emotions that you feel are um, uh, come from God and what we want to do is, is uh, say how does how does God do these things and how does he expect us uh, to act in it all right let's pray our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you, O Lord, for your great mercies. We ask, Father, that you would help us. Please prepare us uh, to come before you. Lord, we ask that by your mercy and the work of Jesus Christ that you would remember all that Christ has done for us. And please prepare our hearts for worship and the renewal of your covenant promises to us. We stand here full of gratitude, knowing that you've done all the work. And you've brought us all this blessing. We thank you and give you praise for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.